Let's uh, go before the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this time. So we again have the opportunity to open up your word. May you enlighten our eyes and help us to hear with our ears and that we would all our senses and all that is within us afresh and anew know you in a real and a clear way even this morning. So we pray for this time in your word. May you move me out of the way and your Holy Spirit would abide even now to bring clarity and truth to us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So today we will start a series looking at the first epistle or the letter of the Apostle John. Just a little bit about John. Along with Peter and James, he was one of Jesus' closest apostles. James was his older brother, and he and James were often referred to and called by Jesus as the sons of what? Thunder. Sons of Thunder. We know that John was very close to Jesus because at the Last Supper, he was found to be very close to Jesus, so close to Jesus that his head reclined on Jesus' chest. At this time, John would have been in his 80s when he wrote this letter. So for all of you who think you may be too old to minister, take it from John who was pressing on even in his 80s. What you have to also remember is that John was the last of the apostles to live. All of the other apostles had been martyred. John wrote this letter from Ephesus to the churches in Asia Minor, which we know today as modern Turkey. John was the apostolic leader over these churches in Asia Minor. We know that he also wrote the Gospel of John and probably wrote this epistle shortly after writing the Gospel of John. And we know that he also wrote what other book? The book of the Revelation. Thank you. Where he writes about the seven churches at Asia Minor. What you also have to remember about the Apostle John is that he was an eyewitness to everything that he was saying about Christ. Because... He had been right there with him, and most of the time in very close proximity to Jesus, and heard what he said and saw what he did. There was no hearsay or speculating going on. He had heard with his ears, he had seen with his eyes, all that he said about Jesus. John wrote the, uh, the Gospel of John primarily to unbelievers. That is why normally when someone is seeking or wants to know about Christ, I will almost always direct them to the Gospel of John. And we know that the verse that is most quoted is there, which is John what? 
3.16. However, John wrote this particular letter, this epistle, to believers. And the reason he wrote it was because a new type of false teaching had just come into the church. And he was writing this letter to confront and to combat the false teaching. The false teaching was something called Gnosticism. That's G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Gnosticism. It comes from the word knowledge. Those who purported this view said that matter was evil and the spirit was good. To break that down a little more, the human body is seen visibly as what? Matter or spirit? Matter. So these false teachers were saying that matter or the body is evil and the spirit is good. So with that being said, they believed that there was no way that Jesus could be in bodily form because that would be what? Evil. What you have to understand is that they believed that they had a much higher knowledge and their knowledge was even higher than the scriptures whenever someone goes down that road your antenna should immediately go up and you should halt on your brakes and say stop right there so this is what was happening in the churches and what you have to understand is that many who were teaching this garbage were those who were so called leaders who were none other than in the church. These were leaders in the church. So beware. This whole notion of Gnosticism also seemed went a little further, and some believed that Jesus' body was not even real and believed that it only seemed real. This was nothing more than heresy. And you may say, why do you say it's heresy? This is why, dear friend, not only was Jesus God, but he was also fully what? Fully man, human. If Jesus did not come in the flesh, he did not really suffer and die on a cross and become the acceptable and substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. And if he did not pay for our sins in bodily form, then we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. And we know that that is absolutely not true. That is why it is heresy for one to say that Jesus did not come in bodily form. Beloved, the incarnation of Christ is foundational to what we believe and all that our faith is built on. Because the Gnostics believed that matter was evil and the spirit was good, this led to the idea that the body should be treated badly. And how would one treat the body badly? by beating their bodies or bruising their bodies so that they would have incredible pain. Quite interesting that someone would purposely inflict pain on their bodies when we experience pain already in these mortal bodies. 
I think that we would all agree that we live in a world of uncertainties. There are things changing daily and sometimes hourly in our world. We have recently experienced gas prices going up, then they're coming down again. Food prices up. For those who have children, for those of us who have children and grandchildren, the educational system causes concern and alarm. And sometimes even in a so-called Christian environment. The fact of the matter is that many in the church have also fallen prey to the lies of Satan and his demons and have come to embrace gay marriage and homosexuality in the church. Lord, help us and have mercy upon us. What you have to understand is that Christianity has always been based and rooted in the absolutes and unchanging truths of the Bible. It is not based on opinions, but based solely on the truth of God's infallible word. Is it not? Yes. This is why the Apostle John wrote his epistle. It was to combat the false errors and lies that were spewing out of the mouths of the false teachers. John's letter does not give much room for opinions. The word K-N-O-W, no, is used some 36 times in this little epistle. There are basically three things that John wants to make sure that one is sure of. And first, he wants one to be sure of who Jesus Christ is. Secondly, he wants one to be sure that he obeys the commandments. And thirdly, he wants one to be sure that he has love for his brothers. John also gives three reasons for writing this epistle. And one reason is given in chapter 1 and verse 4 where he says, These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Another reason he gives in chapter 2 and verse 1 where he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And the last reason he gives for writing this letter is given in chapter 5 and verse 13, which says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may hope that you might think. No. What does he say there? So that you may know that you have eternal life. So for these things to be true in your life, you need to be sure about the person of Christ. You need to obey his word and love your brother. It is similar to the great commandment that Jesus gives in Matthew 22, 37 to 39, which says, and he said to him, to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If one does what John talks about in his letter, he will have true biblical fellowship, live a life of holiness, and be assured of his salvation. So in a nutshell, John wants us to have the right view of Christ, to obey the word, and to love our brothers. This is really the focus of his letter. The first thing that John wants a true believer to have nailed down is the fact of who Christ is. And the fact of the matter is that you can't really call yourself a Christian, can you, if you don't know who Christ is. Pretty basic. 
John talks about who Christ is and declares how he is the son of God. So historically, we know that Jesus was the son of God and lived on earth. And John says in verse 2 of 1 John, the life was manifested. We know from the apostles that Jesus was the son of God. And in verse 3, John says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. We also know that Jesus is the son of God because of the Holy Spirit. John says in chapter 2 of 1 John in verse 20, and I like the way the King James Version says it, but ye have an unction from the Holy One. And ye know all things. And verse 27 says, as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Some people use this verse as a life verse and say, this is the reason they do not believe, they, they do not need any teachers, because they say they have the Holy Spirit. Friends, that is not what this verse is saying. So very elementary, but in order for someone to say he or she is a Christian, they must believe that Jesus Christ came to earth in human flesh and that he came to save sinners from their what? Sin. Let's turn to the passage in 1 John 1, read verses 1 through 4. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John talks about sure things, about Christ in the first four verses of his epistle, which says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at in touch with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. These things we write, he says, at the end of this passage, so that your joy may be made complete. The word of life that John talks about in verse 1 is not only talking about the life of Jesus, but it, is, it refers primarily to the gospel message about Jesus. So in verses 1 to 4, John gives us five sure things about the word of life. He wants us to know Number one, Christ and the gospel is true and steadfast. Number two, Christ and the gospel testifies to the senses. Number three, Christ and the gospel is to be told. Number four, Christ and the gospel brings true togetherness. And five, Christ and the gospel transforms to joy. So point number one, Christ and the gospel is true and steadfast. So look back in verse 1. John starts this letter with 
what was from the beginning. And that is very reminiscent and familiar to how John starts the Gospel of John. For he says in John 1, does anyone remember, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. By starting this letter with what was from the beginning, John wants his readers to be reminded that Jesus always has been and always will be. So in essence, he was saying, let's get back to the very basics and get one thing true for certain. And that is that Jesus was here from the very beginning of time. We know that the people who John was writing to were those who had been exposed to the truth about Christ and the true gospel. So soon after those in the church had heard the truth about Christ and the gospel, false teachers, no doubt, crept in and were trying to steer them away from the truth. You know, that is exactly the way Satan works and tries to disguise himself as an angel of light. That is exactly what Mormons do. That is why they advertise their organization as what? Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You see how they use Christian terminology? Using Jesus Christ and saints. Someone who is not very discerning or who is very weak or new in the faith could be easily swept up into their teaching and doctrine. And we actually know someone who this happened to because she was talking to my wife and was, was telling her she was going to this church. And she said, oh, what church is it? You know, oh, I found, you know, the church, the Church of Latter-day Saints, not knowing that it was a cult. Absolutely a cult. So what we have to remember is that true saving gospel of Jesus Christ is not Jesus Christ plus doing something or believing something that is in a book of Mormon, but it is in believing in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. It is sola Christus, in Christ alone. Sola fide, in faith alone. Sola gratia, saved by grace alone. Sola scriptura, according to the scripture alone. And for sola dea gloria, for the glory of God alone. Listen, beloved, there will never be a new or another Christ or another gospel. Amen? Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul says in Galatians 1, 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed, anathema, damned to hell. So, beloved, if anyone comes to you and says, I have a new revelation, I have a new message from God, don't walk away. Run away as fast as you can. 
because you know it is something straight from the pit of hell. So one thing you can be sure about is that Christ in the gospel is that it is true and steadfast. Another thing you can be sure about is that Christ in the gospel testifies to the senses. You know, the reason John could reject the false teachings that were being brought into the church is because John had the real thing. Beloved, Jesus is real. He's not a fake figment of imagination. Plus, John had not heard about Jesus or just read about Jesus. John had actually been with Jesus. And not just been with him, but he had been in very close proximity to him. So much that he not only knew about the person of Jesus, but he had walked, talked, and eaten with Jesus. So do you think someone could try to come in and tell him some lies about Jesus and that he would believe them? Absolutely not. That is why he starts off this letter in verse 1 with what was from the beginning and what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. When you have been around someone for a long period of time, you don't forget what they're like, do you? You remember their mannerisms, their funny sayings, their quirky ways, the way they say certain things, their expressions, You remember so many things. I mean, even I know oftentimes my mom will give our children some things, and my mom likes to uh, pat things in mothballs a lot of times. And so when they bring something home, they'll be reminded, and they will say, oh, well, Grandmama gave us this because they can still smell it. So, do you think for a moment that John forgot what Jesus was like? No, friends, he did not. You may say, well, how did John know the word of life? He says it plainly in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 14, where he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's look back at verse 1 where John says, what we have heard. That phrase, we have heard, for all of you English teachers, is actually what we call the perfect tense. And perfect tense means an action that has been completed in the past, but has present results. As I mentioned before, John did not write this epistle until he was how old? In his 80s. And so he was with Christ some 60 years ago, but yet he still remembered. Do you think he would ever forget his time with Jesus? 
He would not. Remember, at the Last Supper, John was the one leaning on Jesus' chest. John goes on in this verse to say, we have seen with our eyes. Why did John emphasize this about his eyes? Because the Gnostics were teaching that Jesus was like some sort of ghost. So John debunked that teaching. Remember, John had, been, had seen Jesus perform miracles and give sight to the blind. Then he says, looked upon. This phrase does not simply mean to take a glance, but it means to gaze at a long time. It's a long gaze. John and the other apostles had been with Jesus day in and day out for how long? For three years. And had seen him in many different situations. For three years they had watched him closely and the more they were with him, the more they knew him. They were eyewitnesses to what they had seen. Someone has also said that they were ear witnesses. <laughs> Remember, John knew Jesus up close and personal. He lived with him. He saw him hanging on the cross, suffering and dying for the sins of the world. And don't forget, he was the one that Jesus instructed to care for whom? Mary, his mother. He also saw Jesus ascend to heaven. Then John says, touch with our hands. This phrase is used to speak of a blind man groping or feeling for something. In Luke 24, in verse 39, Jesus says to the men on the road to Emmaus, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have and this passage in John 20 27 which I'm sure you are familiar with where John where Thomas tells where Jesus tells Thomas reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing so the way John and the other disciples knew that Jesus was God is because they had been with him and had seen him and touched him. Jesus gives these encouraging words to believers in John 20, 29. Speaking to Thomas, he says, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those, are they who did not see and yet believe. So we can be sure that Christ in the gospel is true and steadfast. Christ in the gospel testifies to the senses. And Christ in the gospel is to be told. The word of life or the gospel is to be told. Verses 2 to 3 say, The life as manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The word for the phrase bear witness in verse 2 is the same word for which we get our English word martyr. It means to give a personal testimony. 
John was in essence saying, this is something that I tell you because it is something that is very real and very personal to me. In verse 3, John says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. The word declare means to proclaim doctrine. That's how we are to be witnesses. We are to present the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and tell of what he has done in our lives to save us. Although we are not apostles, we are to witness to others and tell Christ's message to others. Paul says we are ambassadors. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20, he says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we can be sure that Christ in the gospel is true and steadfast. Christ in the gospel testifies to the senses. Christ in the gospel is to be told, and Christ in the gospel brings true togetherness. So while the talk about telling the gospel of Christ and about what John has experienced with his senses, the purpose is so that there will be true togetherness or fellowship. That is why John says in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have what? Fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The word fellowship is a very important word. In the original, the word fellowship means partner or partaker or partnership. Oftentimes, the word is thrown around in Christian circles and used very lightly. And often, we may say we are going to a fellowship or a certain type of a function. And oftentimes, it's just a bunch of mingling with other believers, eating a meal and having some tea or lemonade. That's not what John meant by fellowship here. True biblical fellowship refers to a person joining in with another person in a common possession. It refers more to partnership. It does not refer to social interaction, but being united in a common thing. A good example of this would be marriage. Marriage. Although marriage has social implications, it is more or less a partnership between a husband and a wife. Kononia, which is the word for fellowship, in the true, truest sense is a shared partnership. So John was not inviting the readers of his letters to come and have a meal with some tea or lemonade, but he was inviting them to come and know and taste of the true and living God, the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved and wants them to have true togetherness and fellowship with the Father and the Son and to have eternal life. True biblical fellowship refers to the believer's union with Christ. Fellowship is synonymous with being saved. 
That is why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1, 3 through 5, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The first day that Paul was talking about was the first day that they were saved. Listen, beloved, fellowship starts from the day you are saved and goes on forever and ever and ever. So don't let someone come up to you and say, hey, you're, you're out of fellowship. No, you, you cannot be out of fellowship in the truest sense. For someone to say you're out of fellowship, they will be saying, really, you're not even saved. You may not have seen them attending church services in a while for whatever reason, which we don't know. But it doesn't mean that they're out of fellowship. Our partnership is with Christ and the eternal life he gives us. We have been given spiritual life. What exactly is spiritual life? It is when one has a sensitivity to God. One commentator says it this way. He says, a person who is spiritually alive is like someone who is physically alive. And someone who is spiritually dead is like a corpse that cannot respond to physical stimulus. When God pricks a spiritual dead man, nothing happens. But a person who is spiritually alive responds to the gospel. So we can be sure that Christ in the gospel is true and steadfast. Christ in the gospel testifies to the senses. Christ in the gospel is to be told. And Christ in the gospel brings true togetherness. Lastly, Christ in the gospel transforms to joy. One thing we can be sure about is that Christ in the gospel brings joy real joy. That is why John says in verse 4, and these things we write to you that your what? Joy may be full. That three-letter word, joy, J-O-Y, and it's very important here, and it speaks to the fact that John is using it as a connector to everything else he has said previously in verses 1 through 3. So John is saying, in addition to knowing all you know about Christ and sharing the doctrine of Christ with others and the fellowship you have with Christ, above all, you should have true joy. So it's not just about being saved, but it's also about being a believer who is full of joy. Some Christians can be miserable, and I'm sure you have met some of them, and some of them look so sour. You wonder if they are saved at all. That is why John is writing this letter. He wants believers to not only know that they have eternal life, but he wants them to know that God also wants them to have true joy as believers. So in writing this little letter, John wanted his readers to know that if they do what Christ tells them, they will have real joy. True joy is full satisfaction in Christ. If you don't have full joy, maybe you need to check your joy meter and see if you are truly satisfied in the salvation that Christ has given you. Telling about Christ and the gospel gives true fellowship 
And fellowship creates true joy. I know personally, whenever I have told others about Christ, it has given me such excitement and joy in my heart. It's almost like I'm bursting over to tell them all about Christ and all that he has done in my life and all that he means to me. Remember, this letter was written so that a believer can be sure about the person of Christ, obey God, and to love his brothers. John wrote this letter so that you would have true joy. If you're not having full joy, it may be because you're not appropriating Christ into your life and not obeying his word or loving your brothers and sisters in Christ as you should. Dear friends, this message that John gave in these four verses in his first letter is true. The question is, do you believe it is true? What, have, what you have to believe is that God the Son came from heaven and took on a bodily form and died to pay the penalty for sin because we have offended a most holy God. He rose from the dead and is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. The question is, have you begged God for forgiveness today and submitted your life to him as Lord and Savior? What is most important to you in life as a Christian? Is Christ alone your love and life? If you say that Jesus is real, do you rest in him? as the one who is fully God and fully man? If you say you are all in with Christ, are you growing in holiness and love for others and faithfulness to him? If you are filled with joy, are you telling others about this unspeakable joy? And do you enjoy telling others about Christ? John wants us to be sure about our eternal life. It wants us to know that Jesus and the gospel are real and true. And he wants us to know that that it is real and true in a person's life once they have wholeheartedly submitted their lives to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come declaring that you are Lord and Master, Savior of our lives. And so much that John gives to us and all that he had experienced. And, and we who have not, in a physical sense, experienced all that, but in a spiritual sense, we, we have. And, and we are to be blessed if we have those same type of eyes and ears that John spoke of. Lord, may you etch in our hearts even this day the claim that we have and we say that we know Christ. Is that truly evident in our lives and in our hearts? And are we joyful? Are we those who excitedly and 
desire to tell others about the good news of you, Christ. And if not, help us, Lord, to desire to want to tell others who don't know you so that they may escape hell and damnation and they, that they would beg for mercy for you, from you, Christ. We thank you for this time, and Lord, we just pray that you would work in and through our lives and our hearts to bring glory to your name. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Please stand.